Um, we're in a, a series out of the letter 2 Corinthians. Paul actually wrote four letters to the Corinthian church. But we only have two of them. And we're, we've ca- called it Promises, Promises, because 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Jesus, yes in Christ. And by us, the amen is spoken. To say amen means to say so be it, or I agree. And so God has made many promises. Now we've gone through several of these. We're in chapter seven today, and we've been like looking for a promise in each one of these chapters. We've had some, the promise of comfort, uh, glory, reconciliation, and so forth. And then we get to the promise of tears. And the reason I've titled this the promise of tears is because in chapter 7, Paul talks a lot to the Corinthian church about sorrow, godly sorrow, worldly sorrow, and the difference between the two. And I just kept seeing this theme in here that there's a promise from God in our tears. There is power in tears. Now, us men, we don't like to cry. Most people don't like to cry in general because we, you know, we do this. Why do we do that? Like we're going to have the power of a windmill to dry our tears or something. But the reality is, is it's an emotion that we often avoid. I know I do. I'm going to be pretty transparent with you this morning. But the Paul's letter here is a probably the most personal epistle of all of Paul's 13 epistles that Paul wrote. The Corinthians broke his heart. They really did. They, uh, they were, got duped by a group of false teachers who came in behind the Apostle Paul and said, no, nah, he's not really an apostle. He doesn't really know what he's talking about. And they started believing him. And they were defaming Paul. And so Paul is defending himself without trying to go overboard in defending himself. You, you hear this personal human tension going on in the apostle Paul about, man, I really want to let you guys have it, but I'm going to be like Jesus and I'm going to, I'm going to hold back. So if you're reading the letter with us, you're starting to to gather that Paul spent two, a year and a half with the church in Acts chapter 18. And he just loved them. He raised up leadership and like Paul would always do, he would start a church And then he would spend time with them, find leaders, and then he would move on and go preach the gospel somewhere else. So let me read, I'm going to read all of chapter 7, there's just 16 verses. He says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness, because we fear God. Please open your hearts to us. We have not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. I am not saying this to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts, and we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you, and I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all our troubles." When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction, with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. 
His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you when he told us how much you long to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me. I was filled with joy. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful for you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it. Uh, Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnest, uh, such earnest, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wronged. I wrote to you so that in the sight of God you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. We have been greatly encouraged by this. In addition to our encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about the way all of you welcomed him and set his mind at ease. I had told him how proud I was of you, and you didn't disappoint me. I have always told you the truth. Now my boasting to Titus has also proved true. Now he cares for you more than ever when he remembers the way all of you obeyed him and welcomed him with such fear and deep respect. I am very happy now because I have complete confidence in you. We're reading an ancient personal letter from someone to a group of people whom he loved. We have, we're having insight into the gospel, reading this personal letter from Paul to the church at Corinth. It's a heartfelt letter. Of all the, like I said, the, all the New Testament letters, it's probably the most heartfelt. Paul even says in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, that as he wrote this letter, he was crying. He wrote it with tears. And he talks about sorrow in many different ways. So I want to talk for a few minutes about the truth about tears. The truth about tears. First of all, tears are evidence of our humanity. Tears are evidence of our humanity. My mom passed away in 2018 suddenly from a heart attack. She wasn't in great health, but we were caught off guard. And I remember, um, like I cried when we, got, uh, we realized that she had passed. But then I did this. I am not going to cry. I'm not going to grieve. I'm just going to be a tough guy. And I pushed it all down deep. And even through her memorial, um, I, I didn't really even talk. I, I did, couldn't even talk about good memories because I just stuffed, 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 stuffed. Well... In 2020, my dad died from COVID. He, his COVID turned into pneumonia, which ultimately uh, 
took his life. And the day he had, he had dementia the last several years of his life. And anybody that's dealt with someone with dementia, you know, it's tough to watch someone just kind of decay from the vibrant person that they were to someone who doesn't remember what they said, you know, five seconds ago. And my dad was in his 70s, still playing hardball, baseball, and, and swimming every day. He was very physically active until the dementia came in, and it really just robbed him of, of so much. And so watching him go through that dementia all these years, and then my mom being gone, he would call me, and he'd say, where's your mom? It's like, ah, oh, dad, she's in heaven, you know, and you have to repeat that. And we finally, I learned to just say, oh, she's with Aunt Judy, which my mom's sister, they were both in heaven, so that was, I wasn't lying to him. <laughs> um, but when he passed, the day that we said goodbye to him, um, I went outside into the parking lot and I, I cried a heaving cry from the belly. You know what I mean? One of those where I just let myself, let it all go. And it was so cleansing. It was so healing for me because watching all this and I just, you just been holding on to when's the day going to come for him and how much more is he going to suffer? And I, I cried, and I'd never cried like that in my entire life. It was the best thing that could have happened to me. At my dad's memorial, I was able to, to shed tears of joy and to tell stories. And, and it was just such a different experience for my mom. I think I learned not to stuff those emotions down in there because it's, we're not built for that. Tears are evidence of our humanity. Psalm 6.6 says, I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. Do you know that human beings are the only creatures on the earth that shed emotional tears? Other animals, they have tear ducts and they clean their eyes, but they don't, they don't cry from emotions. We're the, the only ones that do that. I found this pretty cool little article about the benefits of crying. Men stay with me on this. Humans produce three types of tears. One is called a, I think I'm saying this right, basal tears. And it's the, it's when you blink your eyes, your, your tear ducts secrete, you know, stuff so that your eyes don't get dry. Then there's reflex tears. And these are triggered by things like wind, smoke, uh, dust, cutting up an onion, you know, you cry. It's something that irritates your, your, your eyes. But then there's emotional tears. And humans are the only creatures that shed tears from emotions, from stress, from either joy or from sorrow. This article goes on to say the benefits of crying, that it has a soothing effect on, on us. It actually, after a good cry, it, it calms you. It reduces stress. It helps you get support from others. Now, you don't want to be a fake crier to get support from others, but it really does. Like when you, you're walking through the store or you're walking through the airport and you see someone crying, you immediately like, ooh, I wonder what's going on with that person. You have compassion for them. A couple years ago, um, I, I get a word, try to get a word that's going to define my year every year. And a couple years ago, my word was boldness. 
And Janelle and I were having lunch on an outdoor patio at a restaurant. And I saw this guy and his wife, and they were talking. It seemed like it was kind of an intense conversation. And his wife got up and must have went to the restroom. And I looked at him, and he started crying really, really hard. So I started praying for him just under my breath. And all of a sudden, I heard the word boldness. So I leaned over to him, and I said, are you doing okay? I said, I want, want you to know I'm praying for you. He goes, why? <laughs> uh, you're crying? Like, you look like you're in distress. And, and he kind of just blew me off. It was kind of weird, but I was still going to exercise the boldness word. But when you cry in public, people notice. When you cry, you get support from others. It also helps to relieve pain. When you cried, it releases endorphins and, and chemicals in your body that that enhances your mood, it releases toxins, relieves stress, it aids in sleep. <laughs> I could use that. Um, fights bacteria. And then it improves your vision to cry, to make your eyes be, be, uh, be right, be normal. And as I was thinking through, through that, I, I came across a guy's story about improving your vision. There's a guy who tells a story that he got a coupon in the mail for getting LASIK surgery, like half off. And he got the surgery, and he had really terrible vision. The LASIK brought him to like 2040 vision. So it wasn't perfect, but it was way better than what he was at. And he said that he was in a worship service, and there was a, a song that they were singing with the lyrics up on the screen like what we do. And he was having to kind of squint, but when he would squint his eyes, he could make out the words. And the words were all about uh, going to all the world, to missions, feeding the poor, taking care of the broken. And God began to just move and melt his heart. And he felt a, a calling from God. And so he was still squinting, reading the words. And he said, as he began to cry at this calling, when a tear would come across his eye, it was like a contact lens. And he could actually see the words perfect through those tears. So not only physically was his vision better, he was spiritually having a vision for what God wanted to do with his life. Tears are evidence of our humanity. Tears are also evidence of our joy. We cry tears of joy. Check out this video. They're not our personal iPads, but we're to take home, but they're ours to use in class. Okay. And do you have any big, big plans for spring break coming up? Um, my mom's getting back from a seven-week class for the military on Tuesday, so I'm going to hang out with her. Oh, she's getting back on Tuesday? Mm -hmm. Oh, and how long was she gone? Seven months. Seven months. Oh, my gosh. That's good. <laughs> Did you talk to her on your iPad? Um, on my phone, I can talk to her, but yeah. Okay. Oh, that's cool. All right, well, my last question for you is, have you ever seen the videos where... The soldier comes home and surprises their kid at school? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Do you want to be in one right now? Yeah. Come around. I'm not crying, you're crying, right? <laughs> Those things get me every time when someone surprises a loved one when they come from being overseas like that. Tears of joy. 
legitimate tears of, I'm so overwhelmed with happiness, the tears. It's evidence of our joy. I remember when our oldest, Chase, uh, graduated from boot camp, we flew out to, to uh, see her graduate, and there's all these new sailors, right? And trying to find her in the crowd of all this and her, her squadron or whatever you call it, um, her group. And um, once they were done and they made the formal announcement that they were finished, ran out to her, hugged her, and I just was tears of joy. Because Chase is like, she's a little pipsqueak. And she survived boot camp and was a little, you know, awesome little sailor. It was tears of joy. When the children of Israel got taken into captivity in Babylon, they were there for almost 75 years, right? A whole generation. And they were, when they were released to go back into the land of Israel, the prophet Jeremiah prophesied that tears of joy will stream down their faces and I will lead them home with great care, says the Lord. Tears of joy, right? Thirdly, tears are evidence of our sorrow and grief. Tears are the other, there's the other side to tears that's, that's not joy, but it's sorrow and grief. And there's, I think there's two types of sorrow in what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he was writing in this seventh chapter of 2 Corinthians. There's, there's sorrow over loss, when you lose a loved one, you lose a job, some sort of circumstance, you have a loss, there's that kind of sorrow. Then there's the sorrow over sin, the sorrow over our failures. We can look back in life or even maybe it feels even, you know, it's, it's, it's fresh. There's a sorrow that we experience over our failures. It's actually good. Because what Paul is saying, that kind of sorrow leads us to repentance, which leads to salvation. If you remember the story in the Gospels about Peter, on the night that Jesus was was betrayed, he told them, he said, I'm going to have to die at the hands of, of sinful men, but on the third day, I'll rise again. And Peter, in his zeal, says, no way, Lord, not on my watch. I'll go to death with you. If I have to die, I'll die with you. If you remember, Jesus said, before the rooster you know, crows three times, you will deny me three times. I'm not sure what Peter felt when he heard those words, but sure enough, after Jesus was arrested and went through his kangaroo court with both the religious and the, and the Romans, um, Peter had denied him three times. One t- on the third time, he actually, they asked him, aren't you with Jesus of Nazareth? Do you know him? He says, I don't even know who he is. He denies that he even knew him. And he cusses at a little girl for, for saying, you were with Jesus. That's how Peter had went from this zealous guy to I don't even know him. Well, Luke records it this way. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. This is when after the third denial. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. He was broken. When you think about 
the difference between Peter and Judas. Both basically did the same thing in denying Jesus. Peter, Peter denied that he knew him. Judas betrayed Jesus for a bag of money. And, but they both felt complete guilt over what they had done and the denial and the betrayal to the point where Judas actually goes back to the religious leaders and gives them their money back. Says, I, I've, I've got innocent blood on my hands. And he, he felt terrible for what he did. We forget that about Judas. The difference between Peter and Judas was Peter had what Paul called godly sorrow. Peter's, his, his sorrow led to a repentance, which led to salvation and restoration. Judas, he felt bad too, but he has what Paul calls in this chapter worldly sorrow that leads to death. And the difference is godly sorrow is a brokenness of our failures before God and before the people that we may have, have hurt. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry that I have to go through these consequences. Many years ago, I used to go down to the Denver City County Jail on Sundays, and we would hold uh, like a little service for the people that were in, in the jail. Most of the, the prisoners were awaiting probably some kind of sentencing that week, up, upcoming week, or they were in between prisons or something. And you'd get to talk to these guys, and guys were in there for like a DUI, or they were in, in for some sort of, you know, I don't know, didn't pay a fine. It was all kinds of things. And I remember how this scripture came to light to me because you could tell the difference in the prisoners of who had godly sorrow over why they were going through what they were going through. They were truly sorrowful for what they had done versus guys were just mad they got caught. And they just, there's a big difference there. Lastly, tears are evidence of conviction and repentance, kind of in the same vein but a little bit different. You know, when you know that you have been forgiven of big failures, failures in general, that should cause some tears to flow. It's evidence that there's been repentance, evidence that there's been conviction. Jesus was invited to the house of a Pharisee to have dinner one night. And it it says that um, this woman, immoral woman, came and showed up to this this dinner meeting. It says one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. If you know the story, the Pharisee in his heart was judging Jesus. If this man were a prophet, he would know that this sinful woman, blah, blah, blah. Jesus went on to tell one of his awesome parables. But the point there is this woman knew who had discovered who Jesus was to the point of repentance and conviction and tears over being forgiven and being restored. When 
parents see their kids cry, they get hurt, not like fake crying because you didn't get your way kind of crying, <laughs> but truly crying over something that hurt. Like as a parent, that moves your heart. As a grandparent, that moves you with compassion. We're flawed people. And if we're moved with compassion at our kids, how much more our perfect heavenly father is moved at compassion for us when we have tears. And that causes us to change. Conviction and repentance causes change in our life because God wants what's best for, for each one of us. Let me shift gears for a second. Let's talk about God and our tears. God and our tears. First thing is this. He sees our tears. Joy, sorrow, conviction, whatever it is, he sees our tears. Poetically, um, the psalmist says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Again, as we as parents have compassion on our kids, when we see their tears, our Father in heaven sees, sees our tears. But secondly, he cares about your tears. He cares about our tears. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Have you ever had your heart broke by life, by somebody? Maybe you're in that season right now. I feel like, man, my heart's just crushed. Well, the Lord is near. He's with you. He's close to the brokenhearted. I know when our hearts are broke and life is going not so good, it seems like God is far away, but he's more near to you than you could ever dream. He's with you. He's close to the brokenhearted, and he's there to walk with you, to heal you, and to, to, to grow you. And then, thirdly, God understands our tears. He understands our tears. The shortest verse in all of Scripture is John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. When Damien, our son, was at Faith Christian Academy in elementary school, um, they would have to like memorize a scripture every week. And they got this verse one time. How easy is that to memorize? And I said to Damien, <laughs> I said, what's your verse this week? And he goes, Jesus swept. <laughs> well, he probably did because Jesus was a servant for sure. But no, it's Jesus wept, bro. But... The context of Jesus wept is so important and gives more power to understanding how God understands our tears, how Jesus understands and his humanity. He experienced everything that we do without sin, which is amazing. There's a, in John 11, the story is that Jesus is a couple days away from a town called Bethany, which is outside of Jerusalem. And his good buddy Lazarus is sick and they send word to Jesus hey come to Bethany so you can the miracle worker can lay hands on him and raise him up so that Lazarus doesn't die 
Well, Jesus had something going on. He was going to do something very great, a bigger miracle than just laying hands on the sick and having them healed. He had something bigger in mind. So Jesus waits on purpose, and Lazarus dies. So Jesus takes that couple three-day journey from wherever he was at to, to Bethany, and he gets to where the funeral that was going on for Lazarus was happening. And in those days, the Jewish people would have a funeral that lasted two weeks. And they would, people would sit with them, and cry, bring food, and, and all that. It wasn't a, a quick thing like what we do here in the West. And Jesus walks towards the funeral. He sees the people. And Martha, Mary and Martha, who were a huge part of Jesus' ministry, Martha comes to him. She, they're both the sisters of Lazarus. And they come... She comes to Jesus and says, oh, Jesus, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. You could have raised him up. And Jesus just very pointedly goes, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, they will live. He says, do you believe this? She says, I do. I believe you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus continues to proceed in this line of people who are just weeping and crying over the death of Lazarus. And it says right before the little verse that Jesus wept that Jesus was deeply moved in, in, internally. He was deeply moved. The Greek word that we translate deeply moved in our English Bibles is the word for indignant anger. He was angry. He was angry at death. He was, Jesus came on a mission to free us from our fear of death and to, and to defeat death by his life, death, and resurrection himself. And so he was mad at death. If I was, and then it says Jesus wept. If I'm Jesus, I'm walking into this funeral going, you guys have no idea what I'm about to do, you know? I'm, I'm going to raise this guy from, from the dead. But Jesus is so in touch with you and I he understands every tear that we shed. He understands our emotions. He understands our difficulties. He's with you. Jesus goes on and, and, and says, Lazarus, come out from the grave. They had him all wrapped up in grave clothes. And the people were like, what? Like, he's been dead for three days. It's, it's going to be gross. I'm not, <laughs> that's what it says. My translation. But... It says that three days, he, they said, Jesus, he's been dead for three days. Three days is super important. You know why? Because Jesus was in the grave for three days. Why is that so significant? Because the Jewish people had a, had a belief that if you were dead for three days, then you were really dead. That's why Jesus stayed in the grave for, for three days. Because then we know he was really dead. That's the, how the Jews saw that. And then he raises him from the grave. Amazing, phenomenal story. And then lastly, God in our tears. He will one day wipe away all of our tears. One day he will wipe away all of our tears. I don't have this on your notes, but if you're taking notes, remember these three words that begin with R. The return of Jesus, the resurrection, and the reconciliation of all things. When Jesus returns 
there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. And then there's going to be the ultimate reconciliation of all things. Jesus came the first time to deal with sin, death, and the evil one. And he didn't come the first time to solve every problem in the world. He came to solve the problem of sin, death, and the evil one. He's coming again to, to, to restore all things, to reconcile ultimately all things literally to him, to himself. Right now, we're living in between the first and the second coming. And our lives are, are being given to spread the good news of what Jesus did for us. People need to know what Jesus did for them. The book of Revelation twice talks about God wiping away all our tears. Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Is that good news? It gets better. Revelation 21, 2 through 4 says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. The promise and the power of tears. There's power in releasing having that physical experience and release, releasing emotions of sorrow, grief, repentance, conviction, joy. Let's be human. It's, it's, it's a part of our, our humanity is for that. And I wonder today, like what has God spoken to you this morning? Where, what maybe flashbacks or memories got stirred up? Maybe what's your joy to celebrate today? God wants us to be honest with him because he's honest with us. And he wants you and I to experience the depths of his love, the depths of his grace. He's done everything that we need on his part. Our part is just to respond and to live and believe and trust. Will you stand with me? I really struggled on how to conclude this message this week because it's not, uh, it's not easy to talk about tears and sorrow and conviction. But if, if, if there's something in your life that, that needs attention, and that you have godly sorrow over that leads to repentance, which leads to salvation, embrace it. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is a gift. When he puts his finger on something in our life and says, Scott, no, Scott, that's not for you. Scott, don't talk like that. Don't have that attitude, whatever it is, because I get that often. <laughs> but I want to be quick to respond to his fatherhood in my life 
So you're right, Lord. I, I do repent. I want to be quick to that. So if there's something that you're holding on to today, maybe something that, that's a secret to you and God, let it go. Repent. Give, give it over to the Lord. Don't just be sorry that of the guilt or the, or the getting caught. Let God do a restorative work in your life. Agree with Jesus that he is Savior and Lord, and then follow him. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail. It's inevitable. It's our, this side of eternity, we are going to make mistakes and fail. But we don't have to stay waddling in those, you know, failures. He's given us that opportunity through his conviction, and then we repent. The word repent simply means to change your mind and change your direction. You were going in one direction. Oop, I'm going to do a 180 and go in the other direction. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of tears. Thank you for the promise of tears that you're working in and through us and that we're living and experiencing life. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room and who are watching online to experience grace, growth, healing, and your power in their lives. And to leave from here today strengthened in the Holy Spirit, strengthened in faith, living in the fruits of the Spirit of love and joy and peace, self-control. God, I pray for anyone in this room that it needs healing physically, that you would pour out the gift of healing. Anyone that needs emotional healing, pour, pour it out on them, Lord. Mental healing, relational healing. Thanks for meeting all our needs and providing for us. Lord, give wisdom to those who are in situations where they're having to make decisions and big decisions. Give them wisdom. We trust that we, we will walk in your will. Thank you for this church. I thank you for uh, the people who give so much to one another. Thank you for all that you've done and what you're doing and what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.